You're listening to Trek FM. And have you noticed how your boobs have started to firm up? Not that we care about such things in this day and age. Uh huh. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Andy, and thanks for tuning in. Today we actually have our whole crew with us. Uh, hi, Sue. Hi, Andy. And Jera. Hello. And Grace. Live long and prosper, dweebs. (laughs) (laughs) And today we're going to be talking about the Next Generation movies, but before we get into that, we want to take a moment and let you know about our Patreon. So our Patreon funds a lot of cool things like helping us get to conventions, helping us upgrade equipment, stuff like that. Um, And it can be, you know, as little as a dollar a month. We also put patron exclusives on there, including... A very awesome commentary we did of Nemesis where you can hear the moment where I begin to hate everything about my life because I'm watching Nemesis. <laughs> so if you're interested in that, feel free to, to, to head on over to our Patreon, which you can catch at patreon.com slash women at war. So we start off with Generations. So... What is everyone's general feelings on Generations? Probably the creepiest we ever see Data be. <laughs> that just... is very, very debatable. Um, I don't know. It was just kind of like, sexy oh my gosh. the Borg Queen in the next movie, Grace. I know. I find this creepier, though. <laughs> just him being super hyperactive is like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. It is really discomforting to see him... Um, particularly the scene where he's really struggling with the emotion chip and he, like, lets Jordy get kidnapped. But I, I definitely remember seeing this movie when it first came out and really, really enjoying it. And I had it on VHS tape and probably watched it a lot of times. Yeah, there's some enjoyable parts to it. It's fun, right? It has the same kind of quality as, like, Relics does, you know? I remember watching it this time. I was surprised how long it took them to get to Kirk. I mean, Kirk's at the very beginning, but then the part for, like, the part that he and Picard are together is actually very short. You know who else is at the very beginning? Demora Sulu. Was that what you were going to say? I was going to say Alan Ruck, but Demora Sulu is there too. Okay, and Alan Ruck is, correct me if I'm wrong, playing the worst Enterprise captain ever. Yeah. Oh, wait, debate. To bold Star Trek emotion picture, but um, but I didn't care because I was paying so much attention to Demora Zulu. I just am in love with Alan Ruck, so and I and I didn't see him coming. So like when he showed up, I was super excited, and I paused it and I ran around and was excited. I thought that's what happened when you saw Adam Scott. That's also what happened when <laughs> I saw Adam Scott. There more than one person that you didn't freak out over. Yeah, but I do remember when um, they they named Demora Sulu, and I was just like, what? And it was really exciting. First off, the idea that, you know, he had a daughter, that Sulu had a daughter that followed him into Starfleet, and then that she's so awesome. Yeah, so there was a, a really cool article recently, actually, that made me appreciate this even more by Sarah Kuhn, an angry Asian man, and she was writing about, you know, with the announcement that there's going to be a new series, can we please have Captain Demora Zulu? And she writes about watching the movie as a kid and said she had very little screen time and mostly seemed to exist so Kirk could reflect on his aged state and wonder when Sulu find, found time to have a kid. But to me, Demora Sulu was much more. She was an Asian woman flying the damn ship. Thanks to Kim's charisma, that's Jacqueline Kim, the actress, uh, she came across as brave, grounded, determined. And she had the potential to become captain one day. So I thought that was cool. I definitely thought it was neat to show like Sulu had a daughter and that she was succeeding. And what's even cooler is that just today, the day we're recording, there have been rumors starting to circulate that the new series is going to be set between TOS and TNG in the Prime Mm -hmm. Universe. So Captain Demora Sulu is more and more of a possibility every day, I think. Yeah, I uh, that occurred to me as well. I'm like, oh my god, this could actually happen. Like, at minimum, we could see her as a character, even if she's not the lead, because they're saying, like, every season would be its own arc, possibly. Mm-hmm. American Horror Story style. At, at any rate, I mean, I hope, I think she would be an excellent character that could anchor a series. Like, we don't learn enough about her from this movie, but in some ways that's good, because everything's open. So that does give us a lot of potential for excellence. 
And then we move into the inexplicable boat scene, which really confused me when I first saw it. I was like, what is happening? Why are they on a boat? And Beverly gets her most memorable moment (laughs) by getting pushed off the boat by Data. I disagree, Jordy. It was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty funny. I felt bad for Bev, though. So I thought it was funny the first time I saw it, and then every time I've seen it, and it doesn't actually have to do with particular feelings that it wasn't fair for Crusher. I just, like, I'm like, that's weird. And Data should, at this point, know better. Like, he has been through several times trying to learn humor and has, you know, not always got it, but that still strikes me as something that, you know, it's felt like a season one Data story. It's like they took Data back to the beginning for the movies. It's a pretty good benchmark of each of the TNG movies with just how they treat Data as a character right off the bat. Mm. Data is just a pretty good benchmark of just how weirdly out of character any given character is going to be in the movie. However, my favorite scene of this movie is when Data is speaking to Picard and talking about how he needs to be relieved of duty because he can't turn his motion chip off. And Picard's like, you want to be human and learning to deal with your emotions is part of being human. And I think the way that it is put is really lovely, but also, like, if Data really is reacting that strongly because of his emotions, maybe he does need to be relieved of duty. Like, the sentiment is a nice one, and the idea behind, mm-hmm. like, what it means to be human, but I am not sure that the conclusion is accurate. Well, I mean, if you wanted to take that in, like, a different direction, it's like he's having an emotional breakdown. Which, if he was a human crew member having an emotional breakdown, would they allow that crew member time off? Well, I think as we see throughout the movies, Picard doesn't like to let people have time off when <laughs> oh, he might God. want to call them to the bridge for some reason. Well, I think at when some this point. happens in generations, it's still somewhat early, so they aren't fully aware that the emotion chip is malfunctioning. No, at that point, they've fixed the malfunction, um, but then Picard um, asks him, Is your chip malfunctioning? And he says, No, I just can't deal with this. Right. Good call. But, like, going back to the boat scene for a second, so that's, uh, you know, the beginning of the movie, and Picard gets the news that his brother and nephew have been killed in a fire, which strikes me as, like, awful. It is awful, and it's just really, (laughs) oh, wow, that's the direction we're going in right now? But, on the plus side, Troy gets to do some counseling. She gets to do her job for a bit, so that's kind of cool. It's sad that this is what it takes, this massive personal catastrophe, for her to even do her job a little. What? No. She's like, oh, um, something's wrong. And he's like, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. I'm just going to go in my ready room and cry. And then she like comes in and talks to him. And I feel like it's, they're halfway decent scenes for, in terms of their relationship. Um, although it's weird that Picard has like paper photo albums. He's old school but like maybe that. Maybe his brother made them. I just feel like it was super convenient. It it doesn't feel like an actual... It's like, it's not something that happens in the narrative so much as they're like, we need Picard to be upset about family so we can make the rest of this movie make sense. It's pretty ham-fisted, I gotta say. Yeah. Yep, agreed. I don't like that that was the device. I'm just saying that this is the high point, maybe, in terms of Troy's professional work in these movies. Sadly. Yes, really sadly. But Guinan's also in this movie. True, yeah. Extremely well lit by lots and lots of candles. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot... Okay, two, at least two movies of these that people just have lots of candles in their quarters. That doesn't seem safe at all on a spaceship. Well, Picard's family just died in a fire, and he oh goes to talk God. to Guinan, and there are candles everywhere. <laughs> Tasteless, Guinan! <laughs> Come on! Not... <laughs> Funny. Yeah, but he's going to distract himself by talking to Guinan about, like, what's this weird dude doing? Hey, what's that guy from Clockwork Orange doing on our ship? Yeah, that's the other thing is I feel like Guinan is a plot device in this movie, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Frustrating. To be fair, like, Guinan is often a plot device in Picard episodes. Like, I mean, Guinan and Picard have a relationship uh, where often... She is giving him advice and using her age and wisdom to enlighten him about a situation he's facing. So I don't see it as 
incredibly different than the series. As we talked about in our Guinan episode, she doesn't often get a lot of her own background. This, we actually get more of her background than anywhere else in the whole series. Yeah, I guess. Maybe if the the rest of the, the movie had been progressing as smoothly as I would have liked, it wouldn't have been so jarring and felt so phoned in. Yeah, I mean, the echo of Guinan was kind of ridiculous. Like, it, why, it would have been really cool if Guinan could have gone back to the Nexus with Picard, and then her and Kirk and Picard could have saved the day. That oh my gosh, awesome. that would have been, been awesome. amazing. Could they not afford yeah. that much Whoopi Goldberg? Seriously. Like, I mean, I think everyone agrees the echo of me thing is kind of bogus. Although I do like that she's riding the unicorn on the merry-go-round. That is pretty neat, yeah. Also, why is there just a unicorn merry-go-round in, um, in Picard's, like, ultimate fantasy? We need to talk about the ultimate happiness fantasy. Because it's yes, friggin' we weird! Okay, first of all, when I think of Picard... There are two things that I do not associate with him, and that is traditional Christian holidays and a longing for children to be around him. That was like his primary character trait in the first season is that he hates children. Yes. I mean, I think that throughout TNG we see that he has he has some longing for family, Um, We see that in The Inner Light, and I see it a little bit, but I also feel like we dealt with it. And what the hell is up with the Dickensian Christmas gear? Yeah, it's just, it's super weird. They had some extra costumes laying around. Uh, Just the whole thing is confusing. And now I'm going to kick it to Sue for the Picard Crusher rant. Go for it. You're on. The real Picard Crusher rant comes in the next movie. But, I mean, come on, that's just, (laughs) we know he has a thing for gingers. That's established. But that's just the wrong one. If that is his ultimate happiness fantasy, why is he in like 1820? And who is that woman? I don't buy it. Yeah, people also have that comment about Kirk's mention of Antonia, who we've never heard before. And why wouldn't they have had Kirk talking about how he regretted not staying with Carol Marcus or like potentially or like any a other love with interest that we've heard but, of before and not just this one yeah. they pulled out of their ass? Probably because they didn't want to shut any of the cannon ships down. I don't know. I feel like creating the, like, Antonia who we only see on a horse briefly. Um, yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. Bizarre. That's her last name, actually, on a horse briefly. <laughs> Antonia on a horse briefly. It's a mouthful, but um, it's Dutch, I believe. <laughs> yeah. So it's good to know that the Dutch are getting around in space. <laughs> well, at least we know Kirk can cook one dish. <laughs> but what we know even more is he's really good at chopping wood in front of a mountain. At least he isn't climbing the mountain. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, the other part about Picard's Christmas thing, just before I forget, that is honestly my favorite part now of this whole movie that I just watch for is if you look at the walls in the background, they're all like pictures of Picard's ancestors that have Patrick Stewart's face. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> they are. It's amazing. Yeah. Honestly, if I had the retirement funds that, or like the not need for money that they have in the future in Starfleet, that is exactly how I would decorate my house. I wish I had the <laughs> not need for money that they have in Starfleet. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I feel like Malcolm McDowell, while not the most criminally badly used of the good actors, um, I feel like Soren is a bit of a waste of his talent. No, but I feel like he uh, does a pretty no good. No man. Everything he says is dripping with, like, menace and drama. And his lines, I legit cried laughing at some of his lines. But that's what I mean, is, like, I feel like he shouldn't be someone that we, like, laugh at because it's so over. <laughs> like, the time is the fire in which we burn. <laughs> oh my god, I died. I died laughing. It was so amazing. And the whole time he's wearing black and running around in that trench coat. He's wearing a trench Man. coat and hoodie combo, which makes him look like... <laughs> An aged Billy Idol impersonator with the bleached hair, <laughs> which honestly is a look that I feel like I could get behind for him. Yeah, me too. I'm 100% on board with Malcolm McDowell in this movie. He was the best part of the movie for me. No, that's true. I think he still elevated it 
I'm just listing him among the people who have been cast in Next Generation movies who probably could have been given better roles in better stories. Yeah, and I see what you're saying about how, you know, we maybe we could have actually given him dramatic role that like actually moved us emotionally instead of made us cackle but at least he was entertaining he definitely knew what he was there for every time he's on screen i'm having fun yeah i mean so putting aside the fact that the nexus makes no sense i actually would have liked us to spend more time in the nexus versus the whole like lead up part to that um, because another thing they could have done would be to show Soren in the Nexus and for us to be able to see like why it matters to him so much. I mean, we understand that it's about reuniting with his family, but it would, I think it would have been more poignant to be able to see that. It feels yeah, like I it agree. takes a long time, longer than I remember, to get into the Nexus. Oh, the other part we need to talk about this movie is Lursa and Bator. Yeah, I was going to oh, say. Oh, yeah. I really like Lursa and Bator. My, I feel like it's, unfortunate that they are basically just working for Soren, although that's kind of how they have been through the whole Trek franchise, is kind of like uh-huh. B-level villains. So they aren't the A-level villains, they're just like running errands for him. I know, but I love the fact that they are B-level villains who made it to the mo- to one of the full movies. That's true, and then exploded. And then exploded, I was so yeah. sad. I was like, yeah. Bye. And then you're like, oh, people, do you have to mess with Jordy's visor again? Always. Every time. Yeah. Like, why don't they just, like, default check his visor when he gets back to the ship from being kidnapped? Although, based on that, I really do love that I can't remember uh, which of the sisters it is, but one of them, when they're watching through his visor, watching Goran, like, oh my god, he has to be the only Starfleet engineer who's never in engineering. (laughs) Yeah. I love that they get that line. And the part where he's talking about how Crusher's ugly. Because they're like, oh, human females. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to miss the boob window. Yeah. Goodbye, boob Uh, windows. I guess we'll see you when the coffee table book comes out of the art (laughs) of the movie. (laughs) We'll just wait for you till then. What is happening? Space. Shh, it's great. Let's keep happening. Oh, windows were lighting candles for you. All up in guidance, inexplicably big room. <laughs> That's true. Guidance has a very big room for the bartender. For a bartender, yeah. Not to say that she doesn't deserve it. I mean, I'm down for not only people not needing money, but also having equally appropriate sized quarters, regardless of rank. Maybe that's that's one of the byproducts of being close with the captain. <laughs> Grace, I'm going to need you to make that song on your B-sides of songs to pon far to. <laughs> well, we're recording now, aren't we? <laughs> uh, yes, we'll be uh, listed on the album liner as your background laughers. <laughs> um, so, I feel like there's more to talk about. Uh, Troy crashes the ship. Crash- no, she doesn't! If that's a crash, it's a pretty good one. Yeah, okay, two things here. One, it would never have occurred to me to blame Troy for crashing the ship, and it wasn't until I got a whole bunch of people tweeting me going like, hardy har, look, Troy sucks at driving, and I was like, what? First of all, what? And second of all, that ship fell out of the sky and nobody died. Talk to an actual pilot. They will tell you any flight that lands horizontally without everyone dying and no one getting hurt. That's a pretty damn good landing for an amateur. That's some, that's some, the stewardesses flying the plane shit right there. Yeah, no one was like, oh, Jordy didn't stop the other half of the ship from blowing up. Uh." Well, now I'm just imagining Karen Black in this movie, and it's amazing. The navigational controls failed. What did you expect her to do? Stick an oar out the window? Not to mention Marina Seardis burned her ass during that. Yeah, one thing I will say that I wish was different about that scene is, so, like, as the ship is crashing, you see Data, like, holding Troy as Troy is freaking out, and I think it would have been really cool if it had been the other way around, yeah. given everything that happened. Oh, yeah, that would have been and great. Of, of anyone else there, what, I still don't understand why it's Troy flying the ship, though. She was there when the the guy at helm wasn't. I, I think, really wish they'd I just given us some asshole explanation for that, aside from that. Like, no, it's cool, guys, I've been playing flight simulator games all weekend. <laughs> I'm guessing that was part of the bridge officer's test that we just didn't see because she was be- really good at it. Whatever. 
<laughs> Another inexplicably good thing. <sighs> and they find Spot. Spot doesn't die. Yay. Alan Ruck, Malcolm McDowell, and Spot are the highlights of this movie for me. I wonder if we can commission some artwork of that. <laughs> and then put some just aged in historical costume Picards in the background. <laughs> Is there more to say about Generations? Other than to say that these are not in-depth analyses of these movies, obviously, because we only have about an hour. No, I mean, like, any time when we're doing a show, like, I mean, the TOS one, we fit six movies in it just over an hour, and so we're, we're trying to, like, pinpoint some of the highlights mostly for the women characters, and then just some general thoughts, but... Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, next up is First Contact, which I would say is generally considered to be the best of the four movies. It was certainly the movie I liked the best. I love 95% of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It is definitely of the next-gen movies, the most watchable and least painful one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that works for me in this movie. I still wish that there was more Troy and Beverly, but for the most part, like, a lot of this really, really works. And one thing is is the pacing. Like, there is so much going on, but you never feel overwhelmed or bored. And that is really impressive to me. One of the major criticisms you hear about First Contact is that they basically remade Voyage Home. But you know what? I also really like Voyage Home, so that does not bother me. I, I think that there's a lot of difference. Like, just because they went back in time and saved something... Don't think it's the same movie. No, yeah. definitely not. I mean, there are no whales, duh. <laughs> it had it had funny moments, but it was overall less goofy. There was more of like a dark right, acting right. side. If anything, I'd say it has more callbacks to Wrath of Khan. That's true. There's callbacks to Wrath of Khan too. Yeah. Uh, there's also, I think, more. It's more philosophical than the Voyage Home. It's you know, it's not like incredibly yeah, yeah. deep, but there's stuff about like what it means to be a, a hero, the desire for vengeance. There's a lot of bigger themes that the Voyage Home is like. We shouldn't kill all the whales. Voyage Home is definitely less about uh, leaving you with some profound thoughts and more about we're gonna have an adventure and there's time travel. Yeah, which is not bad. I'm just it's saying. Not bad at all. It's totally Are you a sure fun it's role. not about a Russian military officer during the Cold War asking about nuclear vessels in San Francisco? Because that's what I think it's about. <laughs> they could have gone in a much darker direction with that. I'll give you that. <laughs> that said, in a an early script to First Contact. Uh, I'm completely spacing out his name right now, but one of the primary B characters it was supposed to be, you know, um, an Hawk, openly yeah. gay character. But that, of course, Hawk. got floored. Yeah, he was supposed to be gay, apparently. Yeah, so I don't know, like, how they were really going to show that, um, given, like, he's only, he's on the bridge and then he's in the deflector dish scene. But the, he is, uh, in the movies, I mean, he obviously gets killed in First Contact, so... Uh, but in the novels, we meet his same-sex partner in the Titan series. So we get to like learn more about him and about what his relationship was like. So that said, folks, if you're a queer character, you can have the entire queerness out of your character when, cut. When but still somebody die. tweeted that to me and they were like, he yeah. could but um, then I'm like, but they kill him. And it's not that gay characters can't be killed or it's just that they are so often given tragic endings that it has become an entire trope. And, you know, to make the first canon gay character on Star Trek and then kill him, mm -hmm. I don't think I would have been cool with that. It all goes back to the fact that a lot of writers, even in this day and age, and recently as back then, still do not know how to write char gay characters uh, who are not tragic gay characters. That's the initial idea that a lot of people come with when, like, yeah. oh, Gay character. I gotta make you feel sorry for them. Yeah. And also, I don't know how to keep writing this. Yeah. Yeah. The, actually, the history of tragic uh, gay characters goes back to, like, the 40s and probably earlier. But I remember reading a really cool paper about how, um, especially in lesbian pulp fiction, that they would allow lesbian characters as long as they died in the end. Like, that's the only way they would publish them. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, if you've read or seen The Celluloid Closet, it's very interesting that there's kind of this unspoken rule in old Hollywood up until like the 80s and 90s that if a character is even coded as gay, they have to die at some point. Yeah. Well, and we see the same thing with uh, miscegenation, which we, we talked about in the Kirk Love Interest episode as well. Right. Yeah. But 
So in this movie, Troy definitely has more to do than Crusher. She gets to get drunk with Zephram Cochran. And she gets to do the countdown for the Phoenix. Crusher gets to diagnose Lily's radiation sickness. And I feel like the reason that I'm going to this is because that deflector dish scene with Hawk and Worf and Picard, I don't know, it feels so long to me. It was and long. I, like, when I was watching it these times, I was, like, trying to identify scenes where you had, like, three men doing action-y things that didn't necessarily add to the plot, or... If they did, like, they could have been shorter. It felt like it was just kind of there so they could have an anti-grav scene. Yeah, I guess. And in this movie and the next two ones, there's a scene with Picard and Worf in the next two ones and Data that are, like, long action sequences. But we just don't have time to put in more stuff with the female characters, you see. Yeah. Or, like, have one of the women in that scene. Yeah. Like, why? there was no reason there couldn't have been a fourth person on the deflector dish. I mean, it wouldn't have made sense for it to be Troy or Crusher on the deflector dish, but in... And it made sense for it to be Rando Bridge Guy? Yeah, I don't know. Marina Sirtis is a gem in that scene. It is the highlight of that movie for me and so adorable. <laughs> her most memorable moment yeah. in the movies. True. And I think she says that too and like it also is very she cute. says one of her most fun yeah, moments. Yeah, she didn't get to do humor very often and which is we see is sad because she had great she has great comic timing. Yeah. And it would have been cool to see that side of Troy more often. But we also get what I would say is probably the strongest of our new female characters, which is Lily. Lily Lily is and a, I'm real a big gem fan too. of hers. I think she's a cool character, and, I mean, you can't get much better than Elfrey Woodard to get as a guest actor for that. Yeah, I just really love this character. She She's really fantastic in this film. She is someone that is, you know, she actually says at the beginning, like, I'm not going up in that thing if you're going to be drunk. Like, we know in the movie that she's supposed to be co-piloting the Phoenix with Zephram Cochran, um, who is already a legend to us Trek fans from the original series. And she encounters the situation and is, like, totally freaked out. She, she has a very believable <laughs> reaction, like, and I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. I love the scene where they're making their way through the Borg, and every time she yeah. sees a new yeah. one, she jumps and screams a little. That is exactly what I would be doing. But it's just, it's so well acted because it's not, like, annoying and you don't feel like she's weak or anything. It just feels really, really believable, and it makes that scene more tense. It also brings back from uh, the audience from uh, this world that they've gotten invested in, like, yep, they're, this, they're in the future. There's these alien zombies. It'll like, oh, wait, this is really weird, right? This this is weird and scary, right? Remember that? Yeah. And also having a character react to the Borg for the first time and reminding us how scary they were when we were first introduced to them. Plus, I really love their holodeck scene. <laughs> and that dress she wears is top-notch. And we get to see just one of the best Picard scenes is with her, I think, of the Next Generation movies. And it should not be with her. Yep, here we go. Here's here, here's the Surant. <laughs> okay, so, so this scene in the ready room, right... It, we're, we're leading up to it with the confrontation with Worf. And these are two people who have known each other for, what, 10-ish years at this point in canon. And while they're having this standoff, Crusher is there and she is trying to, like, calm Picard down, right? It's not working, but she's trying. And then he storms off into his ready room or the observation lounge or whatever that is on the Enterprise and... Crusher's just like, well, we follow his orders. That is so out of character for her. Yeah. This is someone who does not take his crap. And at this point, they have known each other for 25 years. I just fact-checked that and did the math. They've known each other for 25 years. That sh- and they're, they're best friends. She should be the one storming in to that ready room and being like, what the F is wrong with you? That is... Just not, it's the way, I understand why out of universe it's a scene for Lily, right? Because she is like the star, one of the stars of this film. But in universe, in character, that was the wrong choice. And it still obviously to this day makes me really angry. (laughs) For me, I totally get that. I think it would make total sense for it to be Crusher. I just don't know then why you would have Lily on the, like, you need Lily to do something to drive things forward. Otherwise, she's only there to kind of, like, hamper Picard throughout the rest of his journey, I guess, and to 
make him be calmer or something. It would basically take away her entire purpose in the film. So you would need to have something else. And I'm not really sure what that would be. So I think they could have expanded on the holodeck scenes where she's telling him that he's going overboard. Mm -hmm. Like she can, she's there to temper him in those scenes. And I mean, uh, to be 100% honest, if I were to rewrite it, I would actually write it with both of Mm -hmm. them. Because knowing what we know of Lily's character, she would follow Crusher in. I think that would be cool. You know, I just, and this is nothing against Lily. I actually like this character a Mm. lot, but I just feel that the choices for this scene were the wrong choices. The other option is to not have Lily on the Enterprise at all and have her be more heavily invested in the Cochran story and make it more clear that she is a huge driver of this project that we're all in awe of. Yeah, that was one thing that that felt odd to me because, you know, we know she's supposed to be the co-pilot. It also is very clear that Cochran could not have done this without her. And yet when the Enterprise crew comes down, they're just like, oh, there's a 24th century civilian that we're taking up because she's sick. No one's like, that's Lily Sloan. She was the freaking co-pilot. And everyone's like, Zephyrin Cochran is a statue. I went to your school. And no one's like, I went to Lily Sloan High School. I was like, oh, man, she got Rosalind Franklin. She totally got Rosalind Franklin. Yeah, she did. I was thinking about that, and I was like, as sad as it is, that seems... That seems realistic. I don't know. I feel like it would have been cool if someone would have recognized that. Like, no one at any point said, hey, this couldn't have happened without you. Yeah, and I think that's how they could have strengthened her story, is if they made it so that couldn't have happened without her. You know, instead they give that part to Troy and uh, Riker and Jordy. And Barkley. Yeah, that's very true. I think I think that's totally fair. Picard thanks you for helping him realize he was wrong but no one ever like recognizes her role and then her role is actually taken away from her because Riker and Jordy get to co-pilot the craft but at the same time they probably can't tell people and he piloted this craft with a couple of dudes from the future no but she didn't get to go on it I know like for all she knows so I'm just like oh and to be honest okay so the other problem I have with this movie is all of the Borg Queen stuff so, like, if you had taken out the Borg Queen stuff, man, would you have a lot more time to play with the Cochrane storyline, which I think is just so much more engaging. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about the Borg Queen, but certainly I think the, the very end where it's like, it's the end, but then it's not the end, that part could have been short. They do the <laughs> countdown thing. I, I just, I don't get that. The whole, like, is did Data turn or not kind of stuff. But, I mean, I think Alice Krieger does an absolutely fantastic job oh, yeah. as the Borg Queen. She's great. In uh, a 1997 Starlog interview, she described the character as saying, she's evil. She's absolutely evil. It's actually very rare that I would say something like that about a character I've played. I generally tend to take the character's point of view, but the Borg Queen is a being without compassion. So she talks about the situation with Data and Picard and what she thinks the Borg Queen wanted. And she said, she said that Brent Spiner told her that she wanted to hurt Jean-Luc for not falling, falling in love with her. But I ultimately decided that wasn't the case. At the very end of Best of Both Worlds Part 2, the key to Picard's escape from the Borg was really Data. That got me thinking she's not really mad at Data. She's fascinated by him. She cannot get the encryption codes from him in the way she has dealt with everyone else. She must get his cooperation. So she does it through sexuality and by tempting him with flesh. Literally tempting him with flesh. Yeah, there are points where I super, super cringe, like the whole was it good for you and the making out part. But I'm not going to say, you know, no board queen. Mm, I am. I mean, I kind of get what they were trying to do because they were trying to fit this into the data emotion chip in the movie's storyline. So they were trying to take that to a conclusion of him wanting more than than he has and still pursuing his humanity. I just, and this is a problem I have with data throughout the movies, is I feel like this is the story that they told us in TNG and they did it better there. Yeah, absolutely. So why am I watching that story again? I think it's probably because they thought this is one of the engaging stories that TNG has to tell. And this is our chance with a movie audience to show that to people who 
uh, probably a wider audience. Let's see if we can milk that a little bit. Yeah, and it doesn't work very well. And every one of the Next Generation movies tries to do it a different way. Yeah, and um, if you had taken that aspect out, really, the only purpose that the Borg Queen serves to the story after that is to give a face to the enemy. And the Borg don't need a face. You know, they don't need one. They've, they're terrifying because they have no individuality. That's the core of why I'm scared of the Borg, is because they come in and they have no pity, no feelings, no individuality. Supposedly their big problem with writing the script was it was harder for them to write dialogue without a single person to be the mouthpiece for the Borg. Oh, see, really? Because I had heard that it was the studio execs that said they wanted the villain to have a face. So there's like a ton of fascinating scholarly feminist and uh, particularly psychoanalytic feminist analysis of the Borg Queen and the Borg in general. And I just, I find it fascinating this, um, that it both reinforces and casts aside gender roles because you know, I read somewhere, and I, I'm totally forget now that which article it was, but it was talking about first contact and how, like, the things we learned about the Borg in first contact about how they're making the ship hotter and more humid, and that this like green tinge and everything are all things that are associated with like witches in folklore, um, and like the feminine monster. But it's also like a woman as machine, which is very like counter to traditional gender ideas that cast like women as more emotionally based so for me I just am like I love exploring those ideas and I think that as um, we see the Borg Queen in future I won't say where or when we get to explore that a little bit more in less just like we had a sexy villain seduce the guy hmm. I mean that is interesting I just, for me, it's not even that I have a problem so much with her being sexy, although I feel like it's kind of needless sexu sexualization, but it's more that I feel like it messes with the narrative flow. More than that, it messes with everything we know about the Borg. Yeah, that too, is I was really confused when it was happening. I was like, wait a second, this woman is human-like in so many ways, and... That was the whole thing that the Borg was supposed to be so terrifyingly inhuman. Well, I still thought she was pretty terrifying. And I think also just the point when, like, I got her, I was so hungry for women villains. And I'm like, thank God we have a scary <laughs> woman that everyone is terrified of. Like, I'd never seen that on Star Trek really before. And uh, even in a lot of media at the time. And so it just was, like, filling that want that I had for more diversity in like not just heroes but also villains yeah i definitely think that she uh, there's probably a reason why she's inspired so much debate she's definitely polarizing my twitter feed was very divided on her as well when i was tweeting it some of them were like no 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 like look she's manipulating him in a really cool way and then everybody like there's other people that were like they she should never have been in that movie at all so next up is insurrection and uh, let's just skip it nope no, nope. can't do it, Sue. Anish is nope. the worst. The we end. have to make you talk about Anish. No, nope. we don't. Can't. Yeah, we do. Got to do it. Got to do it. One rant per episode. That's that's how it goes. <laughs> there really is not a lot to say about her. She's just kind of there, and we're told that they like her because they like her. Yeah, and it's a waste of Donna Murphy. It is certainly a waste of Donna Murphy. I say I think Donna Murphy is the most badly used guest star in these movies, uh, followed by F. Marie Abraham, or like, they're very closely misused. Poor, poor guys. Basically, every scene with her was boring and didn't make sense. So much of this movie was boring and didn't make sense. That's just the movie in a so, nutshell. here's my new headcanon, which has made this whole movie so much more bearable for me. Actually, this movie is just the story from Anisha's point of view. And it's not actually <laughs> what really happened. And the, the idea was to do like a Rashomon like thing, but that the movie was so dull that no one cared enough to see and the other And I parts. was perfect and pretty and the captain fell in love with me and we kissed by a and waterfall. I could time with my mind. And everyone yeah, was Yeah, I mean, white. at one point she pets his head <laughs> and then stops time. With her mind. 
And I just heart. was like, why is this happening? Okay. To torture me. <laughs> That's why it was happening. <laughs> See, and the thing mm. is, is the moral dilemma is so undercut by the fact that F. Murray Abraham is so cartoonishly evil. So, like, there's an actual case to be made for why do only these couple hundred people get to have all the life-saving radiation and not anybody else? Yeah, it's really messed up. They're on an entire planet, and there's only, they say, 600 of them? Yeah. 600 people need an entire planet? I do not buy that for a second. But Picard is like, well, how about we just find them another place? Like, they're not taking off the whole planet. And then they're like, that won't work because they're going to die. Like, they need the radiation delivered artificially. Yeah, just take so them there they, now! So they kind of... But also, Admiral Dougherty from the beginning, like, it's clear he's going to be a bad Merle. Yeah. Um, I feel like he's a not very interesting character. It would have been cooler to have it be, I don't know, someone, like, even maybe we're more familiar with um, that had a stronger relationship. Also, can you actually die from having your face slightly stretched? <laughs> Is that an actual cause of death? Stretchy face. So, all basically, all Crusher gets to do in this movie is talk about her boobs. And all Troy gets to do is talk about her boobs. Well, Troy also gets to shave off Riker's oh, beard, yeah. which I have to mention, because Andy needs to rant now. No! Now it's time for Andy's rant. No! Beardless Riker, why? Beardless Riker is more terrifying than the Bork. It's also bizarre because, okay, so I actually really like the two first scenes where Riker and Troy flirt because I'm more Oh, much. it's so cute! Um, and, like, he comes and he's like, I think I need counseling. And she's like, really? And, uh, and then he kisses her and she's like, yuck, I've never kissed you with a beard before. Except for in Menage a Troy, at least. So. Except she totally has. Yeah, she clearly has. But, I mean, again, I think this is a case of, like, well, we're gonna stretch it a bit because we know that like, our core audience isn't big enough to make this a box office hit, so we need to attract all these other people, and they aren't gonna, like, know that in episode, or, like, season three, episode 18, she kissed Riker with a beard. <laughs> also, yet again, we get another shot of people with inexplicably huge quarters with a shit ton of candles lit. And back. I mean, don't a you guys have freaking I mean, jobs to do? It's the Enterprise E. Maybe all the quarters are bigger. Or maybe they're on the holodeck. Oh. Okay. Why do you shave on the hollow deck? You guys are forgetting the biggest part. He is beardless. <laughs> <laughs> They're also basically on the ship the whole time. There's this whole thing about, like, is what we're feeling all of the characters? Like, was this caused by the radiation on the planet making us young again? Or was it how we really felt? And they're basically, they're getting it on well before they're even close to the planet. <laughs> I kid you not, I freaked out when that happened. I just freaked out. I thought I was completely done with Beardless Riker, and I had just started rewatching season one of TNG for From There to Here, so I had suddenly been reminded of how creepy Beardless Riker is, and then he just showed up in the middle of the movies when I was supposed to be safe. I'm gonna have to watch, like, three hours of Gargoyles <sighs> to make up for that trauma. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, so... Another thing about this movie, right, really quickly, and it's kind of about all of the movies up to this point, is that <laughs> they changed the ending of the episode attached, presumably to keep Picard single for relationships in the movies. This is the closest he ever comes to a relationship in the movies, and it's a total waste. There is no reason that Picard can't be in a relationship for these last three stories. No reason. But then why would she have pet Picard's head and then stop time? Think about the important things, Sue. Because who doesn't want to pet his head? Okay, so insurrection makes no sense and is basically pretty bad, but is a walk in the park in comparison to our next movie, the worst thing ever, Nemesis. I needed these guys to emotionally pump me up before I could bring myself to rewatch it. Is horrible. It. Would you care to expand on this, Andy? Can't I just say it's terrible, no one should ever watch it again, and we should pretend it doesn't exist, and then we just end the podcast and go home? But if you must watch it... Ah, Why God. would you do that okay. to Ron Perlman? But if you must watch it, you should watch it with our commentary that we mentioned that we recorded for our patrons. Yeah, you can hear me go through the gamut of emotions of, like, happy joy to be hanging out with Sue and Jera, and then just complete and utter despair. It's fun. Both Counselor Troy... And Ron Perlman deserved better. Yeah, and we'll just say that I guess that point was when 
Troy and Riker are consummating their new marriage, and Troy is mentally assaulted, slash sexually assaulted, essentially raped. By Shinzon and his viceroy. Like, his viceroy is helping him access her mind, but, like, she sees both their faces. And it's also the second time she's been uh, psychically assaulted, like, in a situation involving Riker. The other time it's, like, the guy uses Riker's face to try to assault her in violations, mm-hmm. I think, or... Yep. Yeah, violations. It's really telling that they feel like they can keep doing this kind of thing to this character and have her sexually assaulted, but just tack, it's only done psychically on, and that somehow makes it more acceptable and palatable for the audience. Well, I don't think that's even what they were trying to do in this movie. Like, it's pretty clear, you know, so then she's in sickbay, and everyone's around her and Picard's questioning her because that's apparently what you do in Starfleet when you get assaulted is you get to everyone gathers around in sickbay and grills you. Um, but she's also, like, if you get unexpectedly pregnant, you have to talk to every man on board about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And she says, you know, it was a violation. And then she asks for time off. And Picard's like, if you can endure more of these assaults, I need you at my side. And then she doesn't do anything for a significantly long period of time. And then when she does, it's her idea anyway. So I was discussing this scene with a coworker today, actually, uh, just talking about the TNG movies. And, uh, you know, I brought up, of course, like, Nemesis is the worst. Nobody gets raped in Insurrection. And his response to me was, well, they do that to Troy all the time. So whatever. Oh, dear. So whatever. Like, seriously. Wow. No. Yeah, that's like certainly so um I don't love insurrection, but I can definitely watch it without feeling horrible about myself in the universe at the end. Um, I don't feel like I need a shower by the end. Um I do. But uh this is just so I mean, there was also another deleted scene where she gets assaulted again in a turbo lift and like they find her on the floor of the turbo lift. Um, again, like another psychic assault because they needed to show it twice. Uh, apparently it's in the deleted scenes. I'm glad they cut that. Um, but if that was true, then that would have meant like Picard was basically like, endure more of these assaults. And like she literally had to get raped again. That's some girl with the dragon tattoo, dark ass shit right there. Sorry, Steph. But also, being off-duty wouldn't prevent that. No, that's... But, you know, she may have been able to work on, like, her psychic barriers and her, like, other techniques that she has for preventing psychic incursions. Right, right. Theoretically, like, she could have been asking for time to, like, better protect herself. Or just recover from the horrible, horrible assault she just went through. And it wasn't like she was doing much on duty anyway, until the very end when she's like, oh, I know how to find them. And... I've had um, a couple of people argue that, like, this does redeem it because they were like, I saw Troy get assaulted all these times and as a survivor, this really got to me and it really made me feel better to see her at the end, like, take control and help them fire on the enemy ship. And, like, I agree that that is a positive thing, but I wish it hadn't happened in the first place all those other times. Yeah, I think a big part of that scene why why it can be read that way is that it's troy's idea you know she's not telling them you know i think i can do this she's not ordered to do it she gets up and she says this is what's going to happen i'm going to take care of this and i think that just just that little bit is what puts her in control of that situation yeah but i mean it still remains that that situation should not exist yeah you know it upsets me as a person (laughs) Um, and, you know, a feminist who knows people who have been sexually assaulted and like you have to see this happening. It obsessed me as someone who like my first favorite character was Troy, who as a kid, like I saw being a damsel in distress all the time. And this one, she's less of a damsel in distress, but it feels like, again, they just didn't know what to write for character. And it obsessed me as a Riker Troy shipper that, it's like, oh, they got married, finally. The, like, Imzadis are together. And then you just, like, wreck their romantic wedding night by having her be assaulted in the most horrible way, in a way that, like, would probably traumatize and make difficult their early married life. Oh, and the whole, like, oh, can I touch your hair? Shin's on so gross. Tom Hardy. Like, he is the most bald of all the neckbeards. And he was also misused as, like, someone who I can never look at in the same way again. 
So this commentary that we did, you can actually hear me trying to keep keep from crying. That's how upsetting this scene was to me. And so you can hear at the very beginning of that movie, we're having a good time. We're laughing. We're like, look at that dude's stupid cape. You know, we're having a nice time. That scene upset me so much that I could barely finish that movie. Mm-hmm. And you can hear it in that commentary. I'm, I'm I'm glad we got it on. I'm glad we recorded it because you get a chance to actually see what it's like for someone to have a visceral reaction to a scene like that. And I was trying not to cry. Because yeah. I was very aware that we were recording, and I didn't want to just start sobbing in the middle of what was supposed to be a really fun experience, but I was also really upset. So you can hear it in my voice. People have really strong reactions to stuff like this, and it really makes me angry if there isn't a narrative reason for it, and if it's not treated with respect, mm-hmm. then I get really upset. Because there are ways to tell stories about assault and about sexual assault and about rape and all of these horrible things with respect and making sure that, you know, it's told well because, unfortunately, these are things that happen in life and therefore they should be explored in art. But this is not what that was to me. This to me was, hey, let's watch Troy get violated. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes me so upset about it. And... This is one of the the moments where Marina Sirtis, being such an excellent actress, actually worked against it because it was so upsetting. Yep, totally agreed. It is pretty disturbing, and you're right; it doesn't really add much to the story. And it's there's an additional layer of creepy in that, like a significant theme of this movie is how much are you really like him, Picard, and the fact that he's Picard's clone, and. I don't think they're ever implying that Picard would have committed something like that, but it is an additional layer of creepy that you know that he is also supposed to look like Picard. So it just, like, I can't even imagine, you know, what that would be like for someone to go through having their, like, boss and their husband kind of, like, implicated in this trauma. There are a couple other things I want to add. One is that the end of this scene is going right into people having what feels like very little regard for what just happened to her. And I think that this is such a reoccurring theme for Troy's trauma throughout TNG that I feel like it's inexcusable. So we have very long story arcs and really amazing episodes exploring Picard's trauma with the Borg, and I think that is a good thing. What makes me angry is that we put Troy through so much, and we never, ever, ever see her dealing with that in any meaningful way, and we don't ever have anybody else offering her any significant comfort or support. And if we show this sort of thing as a precedent in the media for this is how it's okay to act around an assault victim, and this is just the casual reaction, again, what precedent do we set there? It's not only inappropriate, but when when we when we normalize it in the media, you are hurting people. You are actively hurting people. And I think the fact that they use characters, specifically male characters, that I love so much, like Kirk in The Enemy Within and Picard here, having so little regard for the mental health and physical health in the case of Rand, because she was physically attacked, of their female crew members... It really upsets me because these are characters that I love with, like, everything I've got, and Mm -hmm. it hurts to see them do stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I I think that, like, watching this with you, um, it made me kind of upset that, like, the reason people cite as, like, the reason why they don't like this movie is what happens to Data. And I don't agree with, like, the whole they kill off Data and then they kind of undo it by having, like, childlike before that they spend all this time in dune buggies rescuing and like i don't like that at all but my respect for this movie is lost so much sooner than that guys do not normalize this in storytelling seriously just no well that's the thing i think it already has been i think that it speaks to how upsetting this was and how poorly it was written that by the time data died i literally didn't care Again, one of my favorite characters of all time who I've watched 
seven seasons worth of his development and he died and I barely blinked because I was already just so emotionally distraught from, you know, 40 minutes earlier. So this is why I say that Nemesis is the worst Star Trek movie and also one of the worst things I've ever seen Star Trek do. Not only because of this assault that they put Troy through, although that is definitely the most emotionally hard thing for me. This movie is a mess. The plot makes no sense. It's a bad concept. Narratively, it doesn't work. Pacing-wise, it doesn't work. People are acting out of character. They're throwing away Data's life for, it feels like, just as in a manipulative way to make us feel sad at the end of an action movie. This movie is bad from a story perspective, but it is really bad from a gender perspective. Like, I feel like you nailed it. I feel like adding stuff after that is almost like... I mean, the only other thing we would really need to touch on, I think, is Dinatra. You know, so in this movie, we get uh, two Romulan women, most notably as Dinatra. Talora doesn't really have a lot to do, but we did talk about them both and Dinatra specifically in our Badass Romulan Women episode. So I'd recommend going to that one. The, the one thing that I did notice in this rewatch that I don't think we really touched on, though, is Dinatra like, has this scene with Shinzon where she's kind of trying to seduce him and he instead like threatens to kill her and it's like I'm not interested in Romulans and I thought that that was interesting that it made her motives kind of unclear like does she actually believe she's acting in the good of the empire or is she like concerned for her own personal position with Shinzon that he doesn't seem to really feel like he owes her anything or respects her and like might kill her at the drop of a hat but either way I thought that she was an, an okay character in what was otherwise maybe not so okay of a movie. I mean it could be a combination of things really I mean it doesn't have to be an either or she could be weighing both both aspects. Uh, the striking mm-hmm. thing for me about that scene is the way he grabs her. So he's got her yeah. wrist in a really strong hold and he's looking at her with a lot of disgust, which we find out is because he hates the Romulans so much. But it's kind of interesting to see the physicality of that scene. It's interesting. She's she's trying to manipulate him and he's having zero of it. Anything to say about Crusher in this movie? Is she in this movie? Oh, yeah, they talk about his um, old photo from the Academy, and she calls him cocky. And then they cut their other scene in which she's back at Starfleet Medical. You know, these movies are all very much like the Picard and Data shows, but yeah. you're right that they like totally are inconsistent with Picard's character in what we've learned in the series. And in Data's, they, like, they turn the clock back to season one, and it's like we have to go through Data's development again, and I think way less effectively than in the series. Um, and the women that are from the main crew get totally sidelined or worse. And, you know, there are some high points in the new women characters, but not even as many as the original series movies. The original series movies, I think, on a whole are much, much better than the TNG movies. And what does that say when movies that were made so much earlier are somehow more palatable? than these ones that were made within, like, the past 20 years or so. But they're trying to make the Star Trek movies the big summer sci-fi action-packed blockbuster films. And, at least in my opinion, that's not what Star Trek is. No. Star Trek has always been a little more cerebral than that, which is unfortunate because I love that about Star Trek. And I love big summer action blockbuster movies, but watching them get forced together in such an... Uh, such a sloppy way. It would be lovely if Star Trek as a franchise would stop trying to chase other people's success and just remember what it is that they are good at and remember that they are a solid franchise on their own. They don't need to be the MCU. They don't need to be Star Wars. They are Star Trek. Own that. Because it's something to be proud of. Know that this is what your audience wants and has stuck around for for 50 years now. Tomorrow Zulu for Captain. Woo! Yeah. Woo! Call it! Thanks so much for joining us for our discussion of the TNG movies, but that is just one of the many topics being discussed on the Trek FM network. Here's a quick look at some of the things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Women at Warp. The only way that she can get through the trauma is remembering what her real story is, and that's getting this puppy. 
home and taking care of it. <laughs> I wish that Captain Jamie Nelson said, let's get this puppy home. <laughs> Melodic treks. Do you know what lesson I got from this? What? Don't rely on technology to solve all of your problems. What does that mean? It means don't play on your iPad all the time. That's what my teacher told me. Your teacher's very smart. Saturday morning trek. Dorothy had a little bit of a fit with the uh, animators. They had said over and over again, there is no moon in the Vulcan sky. I think it was like the first episode that aired of the original series when they mentioned this. Because Uhura walks up to Spock and she's like, tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me that I would look good in your moon. And he's like, Vulcan has no moon. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Continuing mission. So why don't you give me a little bit of a thumbnail of what Starship Grissom is. First, it's a uh, Star Trek fan film. It's written by teachers and designed so teachers and educators can download it and use it in their classrooms. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. We also wanted to let you know about the Trek FM Patreon. Trek FM is a listener-supported network. You can help us keep Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Every little bit helps keep Women at Warp and the other Trek FM podcasts up and running. So once you're done the show, again, please consider hopping over to patreon.com slash Trek FM. Well, I think that does it for us. Sue, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor, that's S-P-A-L-T-O-R, or over at AnomalyPodcast.com. And how about you, Grace? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank, and by the time this episode airs, you will also be able to find me on Tumblr if you are into the tumbles. And I am GraceHeartsStarTrek.tumblr.com. Yes. The blog <laughs> is unofficially called Deep Space Grace. <laughs> and how about you, Jara? I am on Tumblr at TrekkieFeminist.tumblr.com, and I'm also on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And I'm Andy. You can follow me most easily on Twitter, where I'm at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting my first time through the Star Trek universe, unless I decide to do commentary like I did with Nemesis. If you'd like to get in touch with all of us, you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Women at Warp or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Women at Warp. So that's it for us. Thanks so much for listening.